And for this one, I'm going to talk about what are you doing without Christ? And for the text of that, we're going to deal with the vine and fruit bearing. So if you would get John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you want, or what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. We live in a world, and in particular, a society in which dependence is not only pursued, but is considered necessary for survival. It is very much recommended in many circles with regard to relationship to be dependent, independent rather. Children are either taught or they somehow develop the mentality that they don't need a father. Many women are raised to believe that they don't need a man to make it in life. Many parents believe that they don't need any outside knowledge to parent or to raise their kids. The underlying thought in all of these mentalities is that I don't need anybody else. But God created us with an innate desire for connection. Both divine and human connection is necessary for all of us. Furthermore, we have an innate innate part of us which is designed to be influenced or governed by someone or something else. For some amount of time, no matter how short the time period is, there lies in every human being the desire to be loved, led, accepted, benevolent, praised, and rewarded. These are qualities that are innate in us. This is why so many folk get into trouble in life because they just got to find somebody to lead them, somebody to trust in, somebody to be kind to. Some, some folk are addicted to, to always reaching out and trying to be somebody's mother. Always having to be the savior. The connection is necessary. But the thing is, it's been distorted and it's not set in its rightful place. So because of the misuse and abuse of these human needs, 
Many of us have become callous to what God created us to be. We shut down parts of ourselves that become difficult for even the creator to penetrate. We are not easily led because those who were supposed to lead us in the past have utterly failed us. We may tend to put forth as little effort as possible because perhaps we were never rewarded or praised for the things that we did. I'll just do just what it takes. Those who we trusted most abused, misused, and or neglected us so we have grown not to trust anyone. It's a very dangerous place. All our relationships become amazingly shallow and we rope off the deep end of our souls. It's a point that nobody can cross. The husband can't cross it. The children can't cross it. The friend can't cross it. And ultimately, God can't even cross the deep end of our souls. The first step to success in Christ and becoming what he wants us to be is establishing a connection. A deep, intimate connection. Let's get St. John 14. He says here in verse number 18, No, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in the storm. I will come to you. In just a little while, I will be gone from the world, but I will be, still be present with you. For I will live again, and you will too. When I come back to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me. And because he loves me, my Father will love him, I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. So here we see... Jesus in the Father, I'm in Jesus, Jesus is in me, I love Jesus, the Father loves me, Jesus loves me, and the end result is divine revelation of who Christ is. We were talking last night about the, the glory of the oneness and finding out that all these years we've been saying, oh, God is in Christ and he's one. For him, that was no big deal. But the glorious part of the oneness is now that he's included me in his oneness. We are one in him. So the glory of the oneness is that he became and lived in the heart of a sinner and still did not cease to be holy. That's the glory of the oneness. So you got to be in and you've got to love. Connection is much deeper than a touch. To connect means to become joined, to meet for the transference of passengers, to transfer as a step in traveling to a final destination. It means to join or to fasten together, usually by something intervening. It means to place or establish in relationship. The main one that I like is to become joined or to meet for the transference of passengers. That's the occupying. There's some trading going on and some transferring that needs to be done for me to get to my final destination. Many of you fly air, airlines, different places. A lot of places don't have direct flights. They have connection points. 
My good friend Armand is out here to preach this weekend, and he got stuck in Chicago overnight. He didn't plan to. The goal was for him to be at LAX at 2.30. Well, he didn't get here till about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock the next morning because there was something wrong with the connection in the middle. Now, with Jesus as the mediator, he is able to transfer to us from the Father and to the Father from us. Without the connection, there is no way to get from the departure to the destination. There is only an endless, frustrating, and aimless journey to nowhere. Bishop Young put it this way, your destiny is determined by who you're joined to. So he says here in our text, I am the true vine. This is the last of the great seven I am statements of Christ. The number seven means completion. It's interesting that he saved I am the true vine as his last one. I believe that it portrays to us the culmination and the fullness or the apex, if you will, of what Jesus wants to do through his church with him as our limitless source of life, strength, and fruitfulness. When God created the vine, he had Christ in mind. The vine was fashioned after Jesus to show us something. All other vines are a mere copy or an expression of the real true vine. All right, so there, we have four different vines in the Bible. The Bible has the old vine, and that's Israel. The earthly vine is the Gentile world that is destined for God's wrath. We find that in Revelation. Excuse me, I didn't do chapter and verses for these, but you can find them there. We have the present or the true heavenly vine, and that is Jesus. And then we have in Deuteronomy 32, it's, it's the vine of Sodom. That is a vine that has been tainted. All right, let's talk about the vine. The vine, for the most part, ran along the ground. Occasionally, the vine would climb a nearby tree, which is how a man was able to sit under his vine. In the Old Testament, uh, 1 Kings 4, he talks about men will be able to sit under the vine. St. John 12 and 32 says, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. See, some, some vines crawl along the ground. Some will climb up the side of a house. Some will climb up a tree. They've said that some vines have grown so large to where it almost covers an entire tree. It goes up the tree. Some folk, their ministry would never reach to the top echelon of the world. This is why God saves different people in different places. He has some, we have some that have been able to be in, in the presence of presidents. Their vine climbed trees. Some of us, we just deal kind of with the everyday average person. Our vine crawls along the earth and outward. All right? The husbandman. He says in the text, the, my father is the husbandman. The creator and sustainer of all life is the one who orchestrates our fruitfulness. It is impossible to be connected to the father and be barren. The duty of the husbandman was to plant and watch over the vine. He also was the one who received and rejoiced in the fruit of the vine. He chose the location. He plows the ground that the vine is going to rest on. 
He removes all the rocks. He chooses the choicest vine, which lets us know that Christ is irreplaceable. He builds a hedge around it for protection. Then the husbandman builds a platform for the watchman and the owner's family to live in or to dwell in while they're plowing the fields. In other words, they get to sit and watch and see the harvest. And last of all, the husbandman waits for the harvest. Next, he talks about the branches. While the vine and the husbandman are singular, he introduces the branches as many. We are the members of the body of Christ, and he is the head. Without branches, the vine cannot produce anything. Remember we talked about the, the awesome power of God? But if you don't have faith, the all-powerful God can't work that miracle. He needs your faith in order to work. Your faith has made you whole. So without the branches, the vine can't produce it. There's nothing wrong with the vine. It's the branches. I'm the problem. A branch is simply a bit of wood brought forth by the vine for one sole purpose of serving it and bearing its fruit. A branch has the same nature as the vine. The branch has one life and one spirit with the vine. Here we have four lessons that we learn about the branch. Number one, entire consecration. Our calling must be our lifestyle. We can't just call ourselves Christian. You have to be a Christian. At Antioch, they were called Christians because they acted like Christ. Folk like to wear the name, but don't want to have the goods on the inside. We must own this holy calling, and God must be our all in all, totally consecrated. Our purpose is to produce for him, not to produce for yourself, not to produce for another man, but we are to produce for Christ. Number two, perfect conformity. The branch is exactly like the vine. It has the same nature, the same life. It's in the same place. You don't find branches over here on the east side and the vines on the west side. They're connected. Wherever the vine is, you'll find the branch. Wherever the branch is, you'll find the vine. Conformity. The branch in the vine has the same work. The work is dictated by the husbandman who will do as he sees fit with the fruit produced. The branch and the vine are inseparable. The branch is the perfect likeness of the vine. The only difference is that one is great and strong and the source of strength, while the other one is little and feeble, ever needing and receiving strength. He gave us the fivefold ministry that we might grow into the full stature of the fullness of Christ. This is being conformed. Be not conformed to this world, but you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That goes back to the helmet of salvation. He has placed a glimpse of his perfection 
And that glimpse is enough to transform us from glory to glory until we are changed into that image of perfection. Let's get that because we didn't read it last night. Let's get 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 17, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. All right, so even though we get a glimpse of who Christ is, that glimpse has enough power to change us from one testimony to the next testimony from one glory to another glory until we reach the full stature of the fullness of Christ the goal of the silversmith when he worked the work of a silversmith the question was asked how do you know when the silver is done he says when I could see my own reflection in it I know that the silver is ready so we've got to know that until Christ can see himself in us, a perfect reflection. Some mirrors you looked into, if a mirror is warped, it, it, it disfigures the face. Some mirrors have scratches or, or you've seen old mirrors where certain parts of it, you can't see anything. He will not be satisfied until he sees his reflection in us. So just as sure as we have the image of the earthy, we will have the image of the heavenly. We will be conformed to Christ. But this all starts with submitting to the will and the word of God. All right. Number three, absolute dependence. This is really where the problem kicks in because, like I said, because of the abuse, misuse, and neglect of so many, we have become so dependent and saying, I don't need you. I don't need a father. I don't need a mother. I don't need a wife. I don't need a husband. But there's a divine connection that God planted in you that he wants to fulfill. So we have to depend on him. He says, without me, you can do nothing. It is divine that supplies life, sap, and strength to the branches. Now, the sap in Old Testament times was actually used as a healing bomb from the branch of the vine. The branches are and have nothing but what the vine provides and imparts. Whatever you have, it's got to be from Christ. If it's not from Christ, it won't produce anything Christian. Look at the principle of creation. He created the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and he created mankind. Then he told all of them to produce after your kind. So if Christ is in it and he's producing it will be Christ-like. If it is not Christ-like, then it cannot bear his name. That's why he says, let every man that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And iniquity is a bit different word than sin. So where are you drawing your life and strength from? All right, next and finally we have undoubting confidence. Consecration conformity, dependence, and confidence. With confidence in the vine, the branches brings forth plentifully without wavering. Your faith must be firm in the vine. 
The branch cannot have confidence in itself because at its core, the vine is its source. Acts 17 and 28 says, For in him we live, move, and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So when we are confident, we go boldly to the throne of grace. There's no fear in approaching God for an answer. There's no doubting that he will give you an answer and do what is for your good. Now let's deal with the fruit. There is a progression mentioned in our text. First he mentions fruit. Then he mentions more fruit. And finally he mentions much fruit. It's three different levels. Remember now we go from glory to glory. As we're changed, as we walk, there's one glory to another glory to another glory. And we've said before, it's really sad for any saint to be stuck on the new birth glory. It is glory. But where's the next glory? Child that comes out the womb, little Chloe, she can't walk yet. Pretty soon in a few months, she'll be crawling and scooting. A little time after that, she'll be walking. A little time after that, she'll be running. Pretty soon, in a few years, she'll be in school and ballet classes and all kind of stuff, graduating, moving on up. We're not going to sit here at our eighth grade graduation talking about, oh, I wish you would just remember when you were born. <laughs> Get to her college graduation, oh, but when you came out the womb. How would that make her feel after all her 20 plus years of work in school and getting good grades and all you could talk about is me Google and Gaga God wants to produce saints not babies saints see but maybe it's because we live in a society where most folk just they produce babies and they on to the next thing that's a mentality some of us have not caught the concept of Christ of nourishing of sticking around, of empowering the next generation. Genesis 1 and 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We cannot afford to use spiritual birth control enjoying the benefits without the fruit. I think I'll read that again. We cannot afford to use spiritual birth control enjoying the benefits without producing the fruit. That's another mentality. The husbandman will not be happy to come back to a pretty vine, but an empty vine. It looked pretty. She dressed like a saint. That sister show sung that song. But the vine is empty. We must be connected to produce fruit. When we're connected, not only will we produce fruit, 
But everyone connected to him will also be able to subdue whatever he commanded us to subdue. I'm going to take my time with that. He said, be fruitful and multiply. I'm giving you power over all this stuff. Subdue it. Get control of your life. Now the question is, do we see any examples of where they subdued it? He mentions three realms here. The heavens, the earth, and the sea. This is pretty much our universe. As far as earth is concerned, the heavens, the earth, and the sea. And God gave us control over all of it. Look at Jonah. He had control over the fish of the sea. What happened with Jonah is they worshipped Dagon long before we even read about Dagon in the Bible. Nineveh worshipped Dagon. It wasn't called Dagon to them, but it was a fish god. When the whale washed up on the shores of Nineveh, they saw Jonah walking out of the belly of their god. Jonah's god delivered him from their god. That's what made Nineveh repent. If the god that we serve can't subdue a man, and a man can come and walk out of the belly of my god, then he's got to be all-powerful. This is why when the world sees us come out of crack addiction, sex addiction, alcoholism, all these kind of vices that are very strong, they got to know something has happened to you. He gave Moses power over the sea. He says, stretch forth your rod and I'll divide the Red Sea, not into, not just one part, but the Psalm said he divided it into sections. Now, you know that God is very into giving every man his own part. He divided the Red Sea into 12 sections for each tribe. See, we read too fast. He divided it into sections. He always had them marching, living in their own area. Even when judgment came. Remember, we talked about Achan. God already knew Achan was the guilty man. But there's an order. Bring the tribe, and out of the tribe, I'll show you the clan. Out of the clan, I'll show you the family, and out of the family, I'll show you the man that's guilty. God has his own part for you, but you got to be connected. Next, he gave us power over the fowl of the air, or the heavens. There's nothing greater than the eagle. We say that the eagle has power to fly directly into the sun. He can soar far above any other bird. But the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and was not. God just took him. Not only that, but Elijah was caught up and flew even further than the eagle. He gave him power over the heavens. Then when it came to the earth, Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it back up. So we have the power to subdue everything that God said to subdue. We've made excuses long enough. We played the blame game. 
Lord, if only this would happen, then I could do this. And what, what I need is this, or, or, or this never happened, or, or my, my father did this, or my mother did this. You've got to be able to get to the point to where you're able to let God love you the way he designed for your parents to love you, or your husband to love you. So the question is, what has Jesus given power and command for you to subdue? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it sin? Unbelief? Double-mindedness? I take one step and then I take one step back. Well, I want to jump in, but maybe I won't be able to swim. He's got your back. Remember, the cloud is leading you, but not only is mercy and grace following you again, but the rock followed them. In the wilderness, he's got your back threefold, the rock, grace, and mercy. It's a ploy of the adversary to cause us to fear that God doesn't have our back. That shadow of death. So the fruit we produce is reflective of whichever type of vine we abide in. Remember we talked about the four vines, the old vine, the vine of Sodom, and we have the vine of the Gentiles. And then we have the true vine. Which vine have we been living in? And the fruit that you bear will bear witness to which vine you've been in. The vine feeds the branch. So whatever the branch is doing is being fed from the vine. Christ cannot feed fear. Christ cannot feed doubt. There are only four possible vines to be connected to the old vine the earthly vine the vine of Sodom or Sodom or the true vine Song of Solomon says and we got to watch out for the little foxes the little foxes are ruining the vineyards catch them for the grapes are all in blossom one of the greatest times to be watchful of the fruit that you're producing is when the fruit has been grown to its full and it's ready to be harvested. That's when the foxes start to come and the devil will send little things, worry, doubt, fear, anxiety, stress. Before you know it, your fruit is starting to wither away. And we use that scripture a lot, but the scripture before that, and this is the story of two people in love writing and speaking to one another. This is the woman actually saying, take the little foxes and protect me from them. But the verse before that, he's trying to draw her out into the open so he can show her off. He says, come on out. She says, I would, but you gotta protect me from the little foxes. God's been trying to draw us out, wants you to do your thing, wants you to witness, wants you to to, to speak words to people and speak life into people, all we could do is just come and say, well, well, I need to go get the word. The word's been in you. Brother Quito said he was praying last night and he, he was looking for direction from God. He said, God spoke to him and said, where have you been? I've been waiting for you. Where you been? Thank God for his grace and, and his patience, his long suffering. All right, so what is the fruit? 
there's a lot of fruit and uh, we're not going to talk about the fruit of the spirit today because there's too much to cover in that but the the number one fruit of the vine is christian disciples that is the number one remember it, it he produces after his own kind and then we have the fruit of the spirit we have love joy peace um, am i going too fast love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance somebody mentioned at dinner against such there is no law and then not only that but we have what natalie was talking about before all the things that we have to add to our faith if we could get the faith not saving faith, growing faith, prospering faith. So the purpose and effect of the fruit is equivalent to the blood of Jesus. The true vine is greater than the image. He is the fulfillment of the type. This is what wine does. Now, this, these are scriptures, y'all. So y'all don't say that Brother Andre was talking about uh, drinking wine. This is what the scriptures say about wine. Psalm 104 and 15. Wine gladdens the heart. Okay, we're dealing with types and shadows now. Christ is the true vine. The reason that wine gladdens the heart is because that Jesus would one day be the true vine and he would be the one to gladden your heart. Okay, 104 15, Psalm. Wine gladdens the heart. Ecclesiastes 10 and 19. Wine gives sparkle to life. It appreciates life. It gives an oomph to living. Most people that are a little tipsy, a little buzz, they ain't got a care in the world. They just sing in alone. Not the drop dead drunk one falling in the gutter. But those that got a little buzz, if you see... They kind of drown that anxiety away. This is what Christ wants to do. Proverbs 31, 6 through 7. Wine suppresses pain and misery. So now we get to the part that a lot of us are not going to like. Pruning. When a branch has produced fruit, the husbandman cleans it in order for it to produce more fruit. Here's where we start to go from glory to glory. He called us and planted us and placed us in the vine. He planted the vine, placed us in the vine, and then said, I want you to produce fruit. Once you produce fruit, he is going to clean you. That's not taking a hose and washing you off. That is taking the length of that vine that has grown Completely taking it off until it's got just a nub left. And then it starts to grow all over again. So he takes the fruit away. He takes the fruit to the wine press and then tells you, I want more. <laughs> Lord, can I enjoy it? No, no. I'm going to take this away. You keep producing. And I'm just going to take this to the wine press. So many of us have gotten so much into God's business that when we bring folk to Christ, 
we think it's our obligation to, to cause them to grow. God takes that fruit and he deals with it at the wine press and begins to crush them like he crushed you when you first came. So he says, I want more. The nature of the branch is such that it, if not pruned or cleaned, the very nature of the wood in the branch would hinder its own production. This is not the removal of weeds or thorns or anything external that may hinder growth. It is the cutting off of the long shoots in the previous session, the removal of something that comes from within that has been produced by the life of the vine itself. So it's the good stuff that he's cleaning. It ain't the filthy stuff. It's the stuff that you just produced that he's cleaning. Why? Because after a while, all of that fruit begins to weigh down the vine, and the vine can't produce. And he doesn't just remove the grapes and leave the, the, the vine to say, look how long I've grown. Takes the fruit away, trims the vine again, I mean the branch again. It is the removal of something that is a proof of the vigor of its life. The more vigorous the growth has been, the greater the need for the pruning. It is the honest, healthy wood of the vine that has to be cut away because it would consume too much of the sap to fill all the long shoots of last season's growth. How many times have we heard about, this is what I did for the Lord 15 years ago, and I did this for Christ, and I brought this one to Christ, and I witnessed to that one, and I did this, and I, 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 I. See, stuff like this makes me feel bad because it, it makes me feel like I'm not doing enough for Christ. Because I don't want him to be disappointed when he comes back and sees an empty vine. A vine that dressed right for the church world. A vine that sat and played the instrument and taught Sunday school and prayed, but there was nothing to give to anybody else. The sap must be saved up and used for the fruit alone, not for the branch. The sap is for the fruit. It goes through the branch to the fruit. The branches sometimes grow to 8 to 10 feet long, but are cut down close to the stem, and nothing is left but just about 2 inches of wood for the next season. Just enough to bear grapes. Everything that is not needful for fruit bearing must be relentlessly cut down, and just as little of the branches as possible must be left that full rich fruit may be expected. The Bible talks about pure religion. It uses that term that you are to have pure religion. And it's the simple things. It's not the, the, the busy things. Sometimes we're so busy working for Christ that we ruin families. We ruin our marriages. We ruin our relationships. And in the end, folks, are disliking us because we become so judgmental and bitter, just unbearable to live with. Like I asked before, why is it the children flock to Jesus? Most kids won't go to anybody. The nature of the saint ought to be where anybody can come to you. Anybody can talk to you. We are to show forth the love of Christ. Not the condemnation, but the love. So it isn't sin which must be pruned here, that has been dealt with before the vine was even planted. 
the, this parable that we're reading of the vine and the branches and the, and the husbandman, this is a growth parable. This is not a sinner's parable. So we're not talking about dealing with sin here. We're talking about dealing with fruit bearing. Remember that we're talking about the life in Christ and not the life before Christ. Life in him. All of this is talking about abide in me, I in you. This is when you're in Christ that all of this takes place. So it is our religious activity, I like this one, which must be pruned. After each session of work, God has to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the conscious helplessness to feel that we are nothing. I'll read that one again for myself. It is our religious activity which must be pruned. After each session of work, God has to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the conscious helplessness to feel that we are nothing. That's the fear of all men, to feel that I'm nothing. That's when folks get suicidal. But he's not doing that to make you suicidal. He's, he does the pruning to make you depend on him to bring forth more fruit. This is what we were talking about when Daryl mentioned of, about people who feel that they have nothing to give, that if they, go, if they give so much away, whether it be love and kindness and, and money, if you're a generous giver, that it won't come back to you or you won't have any left for yourself. It is that fear. But God wants us to put it out there. This is hard stuff to do sometimes. All that is to be left of us is just enough to receive the power of the life-giving sap of the Holy Ghost. What is of man must be reduced to its very lowest measure. It's purity. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. And chemistry always was infatuated with the table of elements. That stuff was the strongest in its purest condition. But once you started adding other things, then you have, uh, like salt, you have sodium chloride. You mix the sodium and the chlorine, and it becomes sodium chloride. You have water, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But there's some things that need to be left in its pure essence. This is why we are not to tamper with the word of God, because when you start to put your little spin on it, you just diluted it. It is not as powerful as it would have been if you just would have hung it out there in its pure state. God works with seeds, not full-grown plants. He's not planting plants. He's planting seeds. But we want, we want folk to be acting like they've been saved 20 years in two weeks. It's not going to happen. They want the two-year-olds to receive the Holy Ghost. They ain't lived life yet. He's a savior. Sa savior saved from sin. They've got to realize that they're in sin first. We don't let things take their full course. So what do we do? We do like the little kid who goes to the little caterpillar who's turned into a cocoon, and we stick a little stick in there, say, come on, you're going to get the Holy Ghost. Come on, you three or four years old. You, you, you ain't obeying what I'm saying. You're going to get the Holy Ghost. 
What happens? They get out. They look like a butterfly, but they can't fly. So we have a whole generation of young folk leaving the church. Why? Because we did not let them go through the cycle of life to where they came to their own consciousness. You can't pluck the grapes before the harvest. The greatest judgment God could bring to a believer would be to leave him alone. No pruning at all. The greatest judgment that God can place on you is to sit there and let you wear all of your glory on your shoulders. I built this. I did that. I taught this. I preached that. I put a roof over your head. Well, Daddy, what was you supposed to do? Have me and leave me on the step? So that's the greatest judgment that God could pass on you is just to leave you there and let you toot your own horn. Proverbs 29 and 15 says that a child left to himself will bring shame upon his mother. So if you want God to leave you alone, you're going to cause shame. Pruning does not simply mean spiritual surgery that removes what is bad. It can also mean cutting away the good and the better so that we can so that we might enjoy the best. The good, the better to the best. That's from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. The pruning knife. The cutting was done by a pruning hook used by the husbandman and it's the word of God. Many people think that the pruning is trouble or calamity or or some type of of trial. He doesn't send bad stuff your way to get his point across. Don't you know that it is the goodness of the Lord that leadeth you to repentance? What are we taught so much? God going to get you. You don't act right. The worse I acted, the gooder he showed himself to me. That's a reality for me. Because I started young. I did. I started young. And a lot of people don't know my testimony because I got saved at 16. They think I just grew up in church. It is not affliction. It is the word of God that caused Paul to rejoice in his infirmity. And to the word gave him peace and comfort. He kept taking the, the issue to the Lord. He said, I sought the Lord three times about this. But then once God really spoke to him and said that my grace is sufficient for you, he left it alone. He was proud to wear it then. He became anxiety-free to minister in spite of his infirmity. The words that Jesus speak are spirit and life. It is as the soul gives up its own thoughts and men's thoughts of what religion is and yields itself heartily, humbly, patiently to the teaching of the word by the spirit that the father would do his amazing work of pruning and cleansing away all the nature and self that mixes with our work and hinders his spirit. The only assistance he wants is your yielding and your surrendering. Sometimes we think we can help God do what he's going to do. The word of God is not just a knife in this pruning act. You have different kinds of knives. He didn't use a butcher knife to prune you. 
He didn't use a steak knife. He used a fillet knife. Something that's done very gently to where he doesn't, he doesn't cut too much of you out so that you can't grow again and go to your next glory. Allow God's word to search out and bring to light all that is of self and the flesh of your religion. Let the word cut away every root of self-confidence that the vine may find you wholly free and receive his life and spirit. Then he says, abide in me and I in you. This gives us the picture of the process of grafting. If you read Romans chapter 11, you'll read that the children of Israel, they were the original vine. But because they wouldn't receive God, he gave and engrafted the Gentiles into the body of Christ. I wish I had time to deal with this. <sighs> Let's get Isaiah 5. I'm sorry, I got to show this. Isaiah 5. We're going to read through it quickly because I want to read Psalm 80 also. It says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it in, gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. This is Israel. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore... When I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. What more could I have done to make this vine produce everything that I wanted it to? I did everything I could as the husbandman. He gave his best. If giving Jesus to us can't cause us to produce fruit, then what more can he do? He gave himself. And now go to, I will tell you, what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Notice, he doesn't touch the vine. He just simply lifts up the protection. And he lets nature run its course on the vine. Sometimes God doesn't have to touch you. Once you step out of his grace... You now become available for any animal to walk by and just tread upon you, any man to come and misuse you and abuse you because your understanding, your wisdom is not right with God. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant and he looked for judgment but behold oppression and righteousness but behold a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house that lay field to field Till there be no place that they may be placed along in the midst of the earth. All right, let's get Psalm 80. Verse number 8. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and did cause it to take deep root and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the bowls thereof were like the goodly cedars. She went out her bowls unto the sea and her branches unto the river why hast thou then broken down her hedges 
so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her. The board, see, God will leave you to the place where people just start sucking the life out of you. You become susceptible to the grabbers. He allows folks to just walk by and just take whatever fruit they want out of your life. Instead of giving it back to God, now you've given it to the enemy. The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine, and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou hast made strong for thyself. Now remember, the Bible talks about a branch and a root that comes out of Jesse. He said, there was none that could save, so my own arm, not arms, arm brought salvation. He's talking about Jesus. He's the vine. It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of the, thy right hand, upon the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself, so we will not go back from thee. Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. So they're seeking repentance here, but it's too late. He's already withdrawn himself. So according to Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80, Israel was divine, brought out of Egypt, which he caused to flourish greatly. But because she produced wild grapes and dealt unjustly, the Lord took away the protection and stopped caring for it. In Matthew 21 and 33 through 44, we read that God has taken the kingdom away from the Jews and will give it to another people who will produce acceptable fruit. The tax collectors and the prostitutes will be preferred before the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. Go get the prostitute. Go get the cheating, lying tax collector. And you scribes, I've entrusted you to write my word down and to transfer it to the next generation. You won't do. So in Romans 11, we are told that the Gentiles were grafted into the vine. Two things happens in this grafting. The first process is in the wood itself. The graft shoots its little roots into the fibers down into the stem of the vine, and the stem grows up into the graft, and what has been called the structural union is affected. So this is the union. Actually, there's a trade-off. The branch take its, takes its roots and digs down into the vine to grab hold, and then the vine reaches out and puts its life-giving power into the branch, the occupying. The graft abides and becomes one with the vine, and even if the vine were to die, it would still be one, with, one wood with the vine. It made the connection and is considered one with the vine. You've got to find out how to make the connection. Don't allow whatever you've been through in life that's made you withdraw from connecting to cause you to miss your blessing with God. He wants a connection. The second part of the process is in the sap. The sap of the vine enters the new structure and uses it as a passage through which sap can flow up to show itself in the young shoots and leaves the fruit. Abide in me. That's our job when he says abide in me. That's your part of the deal. We have to trust and obey to reach out after him and to cling to him. We have to sink ourselves into him. As we do this, a character is formed 
and a heart is prepared for the fuller experience, which is from fruit to more fruit. The more you embrace him, the deeper your connection, the more fruit you have. See, we go from season to season to season. Although the branches are pruned every season, next year they grow all the more stronger. Why? Because the connection was bigger. Many wonder why they are so unsuccessful in their Christian walk. It is simply because they have not fulfilled their abiding in him responsibility. In order for him to abide in us, we must first abide in him. Ephesians 4 and 4 says, there is one body and one spirit. Catch this. Before the spirit can feel, there must be a body prepared. There's an order. There is one body, and then he says, there's one spirit. There's no, if there's no prepared body, what is the spirit going to feel? Even demons got this. It says when a demon comes upon a house that's been swept and clean, and they come and find it all emptied out and looking good, I say, I'm going to move into this. Once the house has been emptied, the spirit can come in. And it's a principle. That's why it works for the demons as well as it works for Christ, because it is a heavenly principle. The graph must have grown into the stem and be abiding in it before the sap can flow through and bring fruit. You've got to be attached, clenched, and already in a connection before the sap can come through. The sap coming through is the last process of the graft. You've got to do so much seeking, so much chasing after God before he starts to pump life into you because he wants to know that I'm not investing all of my riches in something, somebody that's going to leave me hanging next week. So he wants to see, how serious are you? Will you chase me that hard? Will you seek after me that hard? Then once, once it happens, and he says, okay, I see this sister's serious, this brother's serious, he starts to just pour blessings that you can't even handle. The marriage creates a union, but it takes daily love and devotion to maintain the communion. Too many put more emphasis on the wedding than on the marriage. He talks about the body and its members. He talks about the bride and the bridegroom. And he talks about the sheep and the shepherd. He's not only talking about the union, but he's talking about the communion. Once you get to know each other, then you got to learn to love and interact, come together and produce. The word abide actually means to endure, to await, to remain, to lodge, to sojourn, or to dwell, or to continue, or to encamp. You just stay right there. I'm camping out in God's love, not going nowhere. The result of this twofold abiding is this. The prayers of the branches are answered. The husbandman is glorified. The branches bear fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. We experience a love triangle between the husbandman, the vine, and the branches, and then we are partakers of Christ's joy. And finally, we love other branches. Okay, this is the last section. 
the wine press. Some of us may have missed this. The wine press part is really for the fruit that you produce. But it was supposed to happen to you and whoever, whatever branch produced you, you were supposed to go to the wine press. Some of us kind of clung to the branch that produced us. We never let God take us to the wine press. Hopefully, we won't allow the same thing to happen to our fruit, but we will tell them, no, you go on, and you let God press you. Yes, I got a testimony. Yes, I got revelation. I could share some stuff with you, but you got to go to the wine press for yourself. Grapes were harvested in August and September and laid in the sun for 14 days. The grapes are just laid out there. They didn't yank the earrings out the boy's ears. They didn't undress and pull down skirts and all that stuff. They laid them out before the sun for 14 days. Double completion. They let Jesus have them. And we say that you can't legislate holiness. Then we turn around and make all the rules in the world to legislate holiness. And then wonder why folk call us hypocrites. Lay them out in the sun for a double completion season. And while they're in the sun, you ought to be going on to your next producing. Instead of wondering, well, what, what, well, why don't you do this? Why ain't you going here? Why don't you? Will you get out the Holy Ghost's business and let the Holy Ghost deal with them? <laughs> but some of us were never taken to the wine press. And the reason that they were left in the sun is because that is the thing that increases the sugar content. That's what makes it sweet. And you wonder why so many folk in the church are bitter. Because we didn't sit them in the sun. We've got to sit them in the sun so that their sweetness can come. So what happens? We teach them oneness. We teach them hell and heaven. Heaven or hell. Fire damnation. Then they go to their families and go to the family union and tell everybody they're going to hell. They're bitter. There's no sweetness. I've been there, done that. I know what I'm talking about. I was guilty of it. And to this day, I have family members don't want nothing to do with me because of the way I witnessed to them. It wasn't their fault. It was my fault because I didn't understand this. Allow yourself to just sit in the sun until you learn how to become sweet. After the sweetness, then they took them to the wine press where they were trodden with bare feet. You can read that in Isaiah 16 and 10 and Jeremiah 48 and 33. He did it with bare feet. He took his shoes off to press us. The time of grape harvest was a time of rejoicing and grapes were pressed to songs and cries of jubilation. So the one that was crushing the grapes was actually dancing to music while he was doing it. It is the husbandman that crushes the grapes and he does this alone. Isaiah 63, who is this that comes from Bozer who would dye garments? He said, I had to tread the wine press 
alone. Can't nobody else do it. My question is, how many pairs of feet have been crushing you? It should only be Jesus' feet. He does the crushing alone. There is none to help him. And notice that the crushing is a blessing for one and a curse for the other. Because in Isaiah uh, 63, the grapes that he was crushing was actually grapes of wrath. When he crushes us, it's mercy and grace. But it becomes our enemy's wrath as he's crushing us. Luke 15 and 10 says, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And we always say, oh, the angels are rejoicing. That's not what he just said. He said there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. That means that the angels ain't dancing. God is dancing. They're watching him dance over you. And as he's dancing, he's crushing us. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that comes to repentance. Not the angels, but who's in the presence of the angels? It's God. Because the church is down here. tell y'all y'all can't read too fast but he's doing the rejoicing of the wine dance crushing of the grapes those who he's he's calling and causing to grow and he's laid out in the sun and they've become sweet now it's time to take them and, and I'm just going to rejoice on them the wine press is a device used to extract juice from grapes during wine making by crushing them there are a number of different styles of presses that are used by winemakers, but their overall functionality is the same. Each style of press exerts controlled pressure in order to free the juice from the grapes. The pressure has to be just the right pressure. You don't just get, you just don't step on it and crush it completely. The pressure must be controlled, especially with grapes, in order to avoid crushing the seeds and releasing a great deal of undesirable tannins into the wine. You want to crush the grape, but not the seed. Remember, the word of God is the seed. It remains forever. And when that is broken, that means wrath. And what's in the seed is what call, is called tannins, T-A-N-N-I-N-S. Tannins is that thing that makes liquor repulsive, that thing that dries out your mouth when you sip it. Kind of like the lemon. It, it becomes very sour in your mouth and it, it causes it to dry out and it causes that puckering feeling. So then again, he doesn't want to crush us to the place to where we cause people to pucker and their mouths dry out. And they get that sensation when you can, oh, here she comes. <laughs> the tannins some of us are just, just too many tannins and the reason we got so many tannins is because we didn't let Jesus stump us by himself get folks feet off of you 
Stand fast in the liberty with Christ has made you free. Don't let nobody bind you down when you know that God called you and God freed you and God worked out a miracle for you. They don't have to understand it. They don't have to agree with it. But if God did it, woe unto them if they fight against it. Generally, tannins induce a negative response when consumed. These effects can be instantaneous like a bitter or unpleasant taste or can have a delayed response related to anti-nutritional toxic effects. You become toxic. Then it ruins the whole process, the growth process, the sweetening process, the process of going to the wine press. All becomes null and void because you become toxic because you let folk crush you until the word of God was even crushed in your life. Tannins are one way to protect the fruit while it is developing, making the taste very bitter to animals who attempt to devour it. So that means that can't nobody just come and mess with you. Only the wine maker knows how to release the sweet juice. Anybody else that come and plucks a grape, he's just going to bite into it with no care at all, just rough. Some folk just handle you rough. But when they do it, they biting right into that seed. Then that bitter taste gets in their mouth. So the process of making wine required at least two vessels. It took one vessel higher than the other and another vessel lower. So when the wine press happens in the basket above, the juice drains into the one beneath and it starts to overflow. The juice then flowed through a narrow conduit. There was a connection from the higher bowl to the lower bowl. It is the mediator. Now you guys see why we so much talking about don't let nobody else be your mediator. There's only one connection from the higher bowl to the lower bowl. That is Jesus Christ. He is the one that channels the sweetness of God into our lives. Bearing much fruit is not a demand, but it's a promise. If we are his disciples, and disciple means learners or pupils. Learners or pupils, and we are disciples of Christ, of the vine, then Christ will have taught us how to produce fruit. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that calling was transferred from Christ to the church. There is a difference between doing work and bearing fruit. A machine can perform work, but only life can bear fruit. A law can compel work, but only love can spontaneously bring forth fruit. Work implies effort and labor, but the essential idea of fruit is that it is silent, natural, and the restful produce of our inner life. There's no stress in it. That's why you don't tire when you bear fruit. You just sit there and allow the vine to feed you the life, and the fruit grows. But when you work and toil, fight with folk, pride folk, beg folk, argue with folk, get into all kind of debates with folks, it's not productive. Colossians 1 and 10 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. <clears throat> 
He says that you are to be fruitful in every work. Don't just work. Where is the fruit in the work? He's not impressed with the work. He's impressed with the fruit. So your work won't be acceptable to him unless it has some fruit attached to it. Because that's what the branch does. There's only one purpose for the branch. There's not a multi-purpose of, of the church. The purpose of the church is to produce fruit that might give glory to the husbandman. It is easy to see and covet fruit that our neighbor is bearing. So naturally, we try to attach to the other branch to share in its fruit bearing. Fruit bearing cannot be a team effort. It is a collective work with respect to Christ, but each branch must produce its own fruit. All you got to do is abide. It is very important that we do not detach from the vine and attempt to attach to another branch. Because you see, oh, this branch over here got it going on. This church is flourishing. Look at that youth department. Let me go on over here and get in on this. It might not be for you. You can't attach to another branch. A branch can bear fruit, but it cannot channel life into another branch. It is not like jumping a car battery. We think that sometimes. That's why we try to excite one another and get focused on You just need to jump for joy. Well, right now, I just don't have joy. I'm going to wait on the Lord till he gives me joy. It is what it is. If you're going through, just sit there and wait for, for God. There's a time and a season for everything. There's a season for mourning, but the church took that away from us. And I don't get why the sinner can't see you cry. Why I got to go hide and cry? How, why not let them see you cry and then when, when God brings you out, see the transformation from the mourning to the dancing? See, people of the world, that's another hypocrisy of the church. You act like you're so holy in the now because you don't have human struggles. They think we don't have human struggles because we've hidden our human struggles and we only want to show the one side of it. So they never see a transformation. They only see the happy-go-lucky, fake me. But what they want to see is a change. We can certainly encourage one another, but in order to receive healing, life, and strength, you must individually be connected to the vine. He says in his repentful psalm of David, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. The part of you that was broken is the part that he wants to rejoice. We substitute it. If my legs get broke, I'll praise him with my hands. No, he wants to heal the broken legs. That trust that was broken, he wants to heal it so you can now trust in him. The love that was abused and misused and neglected in your life, he wants to heal that so now you can pour all of that into him. Have you bought into the lie that no one can be trusted and that you don't need anyone to make it in life? Are you one who, because of the, all the abuse, misuse, and neglect, 
has become a lonely branch shunning every appearance of a connection. Am I in the class? Is that the avoider? God wants you to depend on him. And to end, again, the rock that followed the children of Israel has followed you to where you are right now. It has followed you to the lonely, detached, unfruitful place that you've come to. Turn around. And this time, don't only speak to the rock, but in Matthew 21, when he talked about the vine, he said that the vine was the rock. And that if you fall on the rock, the rock is going to have mercy on you. But don't let the rock fall on you. Turn around, fall on the rock, and speak to the rock. He wants the part of you that was once broken to rejoice. Embrace the divine connection with the vine. You'll be surprised what he can produce in you. <laughs>